You're listening to the Fat Dude Digs Flicks Movie Podcast Network. And now, the Criterion Break with Andy and Blake. Salutations, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of the Criterion Break uh, with Andy and Blake. A little bit of a misnomer this week, and you'll find that out why in just a second. Uh, I am Andy, the resident fat dude of Fat Dude Digs Flicks, uh, joined today not by the vivacious... uh, um, stupendous. I always I run out of words for him. Uh, not joined this week by Blake, but instead our reliable uh, relief pitcher, the the man who steps in at a moment's notice uh, and is also able to join us whenever he can. Derek Verink, Derek, how are you doing today? Doing great, Andy. How about you? I'm doing really well. Uh, Blake had uh, had something come up this weekend and wasn't able to kind of join us to to see this movie. Uh, you stepped in as as wonderful as you always are uh, to do such a thing, and we are able to kind of discuss uh, a few criterion related things before we dive into a movie. But for those of you. Uh, who have never listened to this podcast, uh, this is the Criterion Break. This is where uh, myself and typically Blake Genethan, but this week, Derek Verink, uh, we will dive into the Criterion Collection. We get a little moment here to kind of uh, discuss our love for this uh, wonderful, wonderful label uh, and the wonderful streaming net- network as well. On this week's episode, we'll get some housekeeping out of the way and talk some news that is very, very exciting for home video collectors uh, before we dive into a little feature on the movie that hit the state theater this past weekend, uh, and that is The Harder They Come. Uh, this will be a fun one to talk about, but As I've been kind of saying a little bit here, Derek, there has been some huge news in the world of Criterion over the last couple of weeks. And that is that the Criterion Collection has finally decided to release some of their films, including two, uh, okay, so I think these might have been in the Laserdisc uh, Criterion Collection previously. That is correct, yes. But they are new to the format, I guess kind of rejoining the collection uh, on 4K disc and then a reissue of a uh, Criterion favorite on the 4K uh, UHD format. Uh, And those three titles are Menace to Society, Mulholland Drive and the widely recognized greatest in quotations film of all time Citizen Kane all finding themselves on 4K UHD uh Derek as a collector of not just Criterion but of physical media in general what are what are your thoughts on Criterion kind of diving into the 4K market Yeah I mean you know It's been a long time coming. I know fans have been waiting for many years for Criterion to get into the 4K lane. Um, I know like every time a studio or a boutique label would release the 4K version of a Criterion title, you know, fans would get a little vocal, a little irate, you know, like, for example, Universal releasing Do the Right Thing or most recently like Kino Lorber announcing they were going to do the Silence of the Lambs, you know. And so there, there's just been this anticipation for so long of, you know, like Criterion is kind of the gold standard of, you know, home video special editions and title curation. Um, so, you know, fans have just been wondering, like, when is it finally going to happen? Um, you know, back in the original HD era, you know, 
Criterion gave us Blu-rays only a few years into that format. And really the only delay at that point was kind of waiting for the format war to end um, between HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Within a year of HD, DVD folding, we had Criterion Blu-rays. And, you know, for that reason, that's kind of why it's been kind of unusual to an extent as to, you know, the wait for, you know, five or so years for Criterion to get into here. But, you know, I think they're going to hit it strong. Certainly the titles that they've announced, you know, the three you mentioned, uh, plus a few others that we'll get into in a little bit here. Um, they're certainly bringing up the big guns uh, to kick things off. And that's very, very exciting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about how you feel about these these first three selections uh and then you know I, I think you you probably have the other other titles handy there if not i'll i'll dig for them uh i do uh, awesome see i know you derek i know that you are you are mr <laughs> resourceful um I'm, I'm curious because i i think this is a pretty exciting albeit one of them is a little unexpected uh but i think that the, this opening these these first three releases that's a pretty pretty good choice where where do you stand on these three titles i i'm pretty solid on them just kind of from recognizing their histories mm-hmm. with criterion i mean Mulholland Drive, which will be like the actual official first title that comes out November 16th, um, that has a David Lynch supervised 4K remaster. And of course, he's been very exacting when it comes to how his movies are presented on home video. So I know in this particular case, this edition will be no slouch, even though it's not going to be adding anything new to the table beyond, you know, the 4K edition of the movie itself, because it already had a fairly strong criterion blu-ray um i you know there will still be a lot of fans who are very excited for that so that's perfectly fine um and then the other two titles as you mentioned both of these have a history with the collection going all the way back to the laserdisc days um but you know obviously for reasons you know during the dvd and blu-ray era you know warner brothers thought it was more uh important to you know keep those titles for themselves, you know, because they're still fairly big hitters. Um, And so Menace to Society, you know, there's a fair amount of great, you know, extras in play here in terms of assembling the participation of the Hughes brothers um, in terms of assembling the, you know, bringing the director's cut, which I believe was debuted on the Criterion Laserdisc, I believe. I'll be very curious how that plays out, but it is, but the recency, the relative recency of the title in terms of, you know, being, you know, just under 30 years or so old, I think that's still going to be a very vibrant looking title there. And then Citizen Kane, I know the rumor mill was that, you know, Criterion had been pursuing this for a long time. Again, this is a title that they had back in the late eighties, I believe when they first released it on Criterion. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong in this, but if I recall correctly, uh, the Citizen Kane Laserdisc gave us the very first audio commentary track um, where they had a film historian comment over the movie. And that was the absolute very first time that that was there. Unfortunately, that track is not going to be on the Citizen Kane edition, but there are still going to be a behemoth of extras on here so much that the regular Blu-ray set is going to be three disc. And then there'll be a fourth disc for the 4k version with the 4k transfer. So um, again, that title, you know, it's going to look very beautiful. It's been very handsomely treated uh, when it made its DVD and Blu-ray debut. So, and of course it's, you know, an iconic title and of course a huge get for criterion. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because it's like I I probably, more than likely, will not end up purchasing the Mulholland Drive disc unless I hear just you know, phenomenal things about the transfer that it's something that I really, really have to pick up just because I have the Blu-ray. I'm happy with it. And I I don't, I'm not, (laughs) uh, you're not going to like this, Derek, but I'm not completely sold on, on 4k just yet. I, I, I think it's probably because of the hardware that I'm using to view it. I think my, my TV is, is, 
passable. My my 4K player also passable. But I think if I had better equipment, I would probably be like, oh yeah, I totally see the difference. I think this is great. I think seeing a 4K restoration uh, on a screen as we've uh, uh, been treated to with the state theater uh, and then various screenings at Cinemark, uh, you know, I think those those remasters, you can definitely see that they have put a lot of love and care into it. But I think you really need to have uh, the best presentation at home to really notice that that tweak between the Blu-ray and the, the 4K. But that said, uh, yeah, Citizen Kane and Menace to Society yeah i i will i will buy those uh on day one i i'm curious so I'll, I'll talk about menace to society first and i'll get back to citizen king here i have never seen uh menace to society and it's one that's been on my list for a very very long time so much so that two weeks before the press release for this criterion release came out i found a used copy at last stop and bought it and now i'm i'm just gonna wait i'm just gonna, just gonna wait to watch it uh until november and, and pick up the the criterion disc instead um this is one that i think is surprising and not surprising i think surprising because i don't know if this movie quite holds as much esteem now as it did upon its release uh, I think it's still a very important, you know, regarded as an important film, uh, but I don't think it has like the cultural pedigree as say something like do the right thing does uh, boys in the hood does, but I do, I do think that this one still has uh, 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 something to say. And I think people recognize that. So I I'm really excited uh, that this one found its way back into the collection. Have you seen, menace to society derek i have not either to okay. be honest okay yeah i'm 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 really excited to check this out and i think yeah waiting until that that criterion disc comes out is probably going to be the west best way to do it uh, citizen kane i i love this movie like not not a uh not a oh yeah i feel like i have to say i love it like, I genuinely love Citizen Kane. Uh, I think it is a very smart, very well-written, well-constructed, brilliantly acted. Like, I just think, you know, anytime I hear uh, some large body pronounce that Citizen Kane is the greatest film of all time, I always know it's an opinion, but it's an opinion that I share because I just think this, this film is exquisite. I'm curious to know, Derek, what are your thoughts on this beautiful, simplistic cover design uh, on the Citizen Kane 4K disc? I, I, I know Film Twitter's uh, response to this cover <laughs> art. I know that's what you're kind of alluding to. Right. What I'm very curious about is, because I know this announcement for Citizen Kane mentioned that there's going to be some deluxe packaging for this mm -hmm. which we have not seen a full shot of right. and that's kind of why i'm trying to hold my opinion on that until i see that in action because yeah. i'm kind of reminded of uh, what was it last year uh when the criterion announced parasite and they had that they had what was also considered by film twitter to be a little bit of a controversial piece of art with like the morse code design yeah and people were like well what's that cover like but then when you saw the package in action and you saw it was kind of like that die cut area where like if you take the inner case out of the sleeve you know and you'll see the key cover art underneath you know and you know yeah. the morse code just kind of overlaps with that you know that made perfect sense so my hope is that, you know, when we see the full package in play here, and it's, it's got to be pretty hefty because, again, you're dealing with either three or four discs, um, depending upon which edition you do pick up. Um, but I also know that, you know, with with a title like this, you know, with the work that Criterion would have had to go through with Warner Brothers to get this title, um, and, of course, the sheer effort that they're putting into it from, like, a supplement perspective as well, you know, they're certainly not trying to take you know a lazy approach toward you know the art design for a movie like this and again right. that's where i'm kind of hoping like you know wait until like the full heft of this actual physical release comes out and then see what all is trying to do you know from the aesthetics inside and out and then make a decision from there that's all i'll say yeah yeah and i you know i i 
I really like this. I, uh, you know, the way it's, it's designed so far, I know that there's going to be more to it. I don't know what that extra is, but I think that right now I really appreciate the simple design of it all. I think when you're trying to uh, create a piece of art for something that is as reputable as Citizen Kane is, I feel like you're going to have someone uh, critique it no matter what. Uh, yep. But I, I like this. I think it's, it's you know, a, a very powerful, very simple image. But again, like you, I'm, I'm excited to see what else there is with this because I think you know what this, this isn't it. So uh, yeah, just a, a very exciting uh, lineup for their first kind of dive into 4K, but they have other titles planned. What else yes. do they have on the horizon, Derek? So as part of their original, we're going into 4K announcement, they had announced six titles total. Uh, the three that we just mentioned, uh, the other three, I don't know when they're coming. I would hope that maybe they're going to be part of the December slate of announcements, but we'll see. Um, there is going to be one new title to the collection as part of that, which is Jane Campion's The Piano, Yes. Um, which I was kind of surprised got announced because, um, you know, that actually gives a little bit of an indication that maybe just maybe um, Criterion's going to be able to tap into the Miramax library once again, because that's what, that's who released that movie in the States here back in 93. Right. Um, so very curious about that. Um, the other two are indeed port overs from or or, you know, upgrades of previous titles in the collection. Um, you've got the archers, the red shoes, um, which is going to look vivacious and vibrant yeah. and all that. Um, that's going to be a great, you know, HDR test right there. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. um, and then also A Hard Day's Night with the Beatles, yeah. another yeah. recent um, title that played the state um, and had also gotten a 4K. They, they had shown that in 4K. And, you know, for like a, you know, I believe it's Super 16 black and white, you know, shot off the cuff, you know, it looked fairly strong for sure. that. So if that translates into this release, that should be fine too. Yeah. I, I think it's just a really, really fun kind of uh, first batch of, of titles that they're, they're putting onto the, the 4k format. Uh, and I think it's a nice mix because I feel like, uh, Citizen Kane was one that people expected to find its way back to Criterion uh, for quite some time. And I think yep. that that being one, I think is, is a, uh, not, not really too surprising. Uh, I think the red shoes is a choice that's, uh, you know, certainly one that I think will really shine uh, on 4k. Uh, like you said, it, it's just going to look sumptuous, just a, a, a visual delight. Um, and then you've got like uh, Mulholland drive, which is a nice, you know, it's a it's a fan favorite one that's that'll be fun to see in the uh, see in 4K. Hard Day's Night, which is a nice uh, another kind of classic movie with great music, uh, and I think the two kind of surprises that are still like really just you know wonderful picks would be Menace to Society and The Piano. Uh, I think The Piano is a wonderful film, and I, I'm. Uh, uh, really excited to to get to own that. I think I, I haven't been able to find a copy of that. I think since it's DVD days, like way yeah. way back I, when. I I do have a Blu-ray of it. I mean, the, the problem the problem with this is so I I know Lionsgate released it on Blu-ray sure. when they acquired the Miramax rights, but of course, because the Miramax library has changed hands so many times mm -hmm. during you know the Blu-ray era those titles kept going out of print. Yeah. Um, and now, fairly recently, Paramount is now the distributor of the Miramax titles, which is why they're doing releases like the Scream 4K disc or the sure. From Dust to Dawn 4K disc. Uh, but they're also just rehashing or getting all the other former discs for the other Miramax movies out there. I'm even trying to recall if they actually even have put out the old piano disc. It's certainly possible. But but that explains why you've endured um, that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I, I think, uh, you know, getting to have it in a format that's a little more readily available with it being in, uh, in the collection, you know, something that'll be a little more widely circulated for us, for us. Yes. I think, you know, it's not something you'll probably find on the shelves at Target or Walmart, but oh, I think no. for, for the, those of us who are 
into the collection, you know, we, we know where to find it and we know that it'll be on hand. So um, I'm curious. So from my vantage point, and I have not actually stepped foot into a Barnes and Noble for a while. Now, does Barnes and Noble carry 4k UHD discs? Are they, are they stocking? I know it'll probably change with the criterion titles they'll want to add those but have they started carrying 4k discs at all um they've only really have had a handful um in the past year or so um there certainly has been no consistent rhyme or reason to what they'll carry i mean they'll still carry like blu-rays from you know many of the major new releases um but 4ks have really been a trickle for them um Like you said, with Criterion, certainly they'll come through, especially since, you know, as I've noted, you know, in our private chats, you know, these first Criterion 4K releases are going to overlap with the November Barnes & Noble half-off sale. Um, So certainly people are going to be anticipating Barnes & Noble to bring those in and, you know, I'll certainly be snatching those up, you know, at my earliest convenience with that. So Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a, a very shrewd move <laughs> by by criterion to kind of line those up i mean it's it's just right in line with christmas shopping so i i think uh this is a, a great great scheduling on their part and yeah i'm i'm very very excited to kind of see uh you know where they go from here i hopefully these releases are successful enough and i i imagine that they will be like i imagine there's there's not really going to be uh, any issue with this i think they will sell quite a few copies because i think the people who are buying criterion titles are the people who are genuinely interested in their uh, home video presentation and and really like the effort that criterion puts into it so uh yeah i'm i'm very very excited to uh to see these these films in 4k and to see them in the collection i think it's going to be a lot of fun yeah Cool, man. Well, I don't know if there's anything else outside of uh, our featured movie to really dive into. I will ask you this. I don't, this is kind of putting you on the spot. Has there been anything else in the collection that maybe you've watched in like the last two weeks or so that have stood out to you, even if it's something that, that screamed at the state that's in the collection, other than uh, the, the harder they come, have you seen anything lately that, that, uh, really caught your eye and and uh got you excited yeah i mean i i know obviously you guys had discussed you know many of the you know state criterion titles you know in recent weeks i know blake kind of quoted my um response on the philadelphia story verbatim when i was kind of talking about you know one of the appeals of having you know repertory theater is being able to see golden age hollywood classics you know with the big stars of the era and stuff like that so that's where i had you know my givings about you know the philadelphia story being a perfect title because you've got three a-listers you know just you know doing bing bang boom you know what they do so that was very appealing with that um i just briefly even though this is a little bit long ago i know seeing a hard day's night at the state you know was also a very charming experience as well um especially given the history because that was the theater that had actually shown a hard day's night back in the 60s to thousands of screaming beatles fans during the era so just to imagine that um in that venue um really made me feel a bit of fun there so and of course the movie is fun too so um Oh, what else? I know it also one title you guys also didn't mention that is in the collection via that BBS box set is Easy Rider. Yeah. Um, you know, which, you know, that was my first time viewing it. And, sure. you know, I, I, I thought it was fine. It was yeah. good. Maybe not great. Uh, obviously, it's of its era. Um, but, you know, it has its importance uh, for what it was trying to do at that time. So I'm not going to begrudge that at all. And, you know, just seeing the I wouldn't say twists and turns, but just kind of the paths that it takes with its narrative, you know, is um, very intriguing in that sense. So, but yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've, I've got to commend you because one of the fun things that you do is that you post uh, either the, the ads in the paper 
or you know, for most of the films yep. that release at the state, is that you'll you'll post uh, little snippets of the ads for the films, uh, kind of back from when they uh, uh, were released. Yep. Or if there's some other kind of interesting news story around it, you'll post uh, things about that too. And I gotta say, it was really cool to see the uh, uh, the the story in the state about when the Har- a Hard Day's Night came out, uh, because you posted that picture where there were all the fans lined up waiting to see the movie. And, you know, the, the movie is is basically about that, how the Beatles were swarmed everywhere they went. Yep. And it was just this massive fandom. And to kind of see that played out where there was this massive fandom to try to get into the movie theater to see a movie about them, that was just like, it was such a fun uh, bit of history to see that. I I... I always think it's super cool, all the stuff that you're able to pull. Yeah, I mean, and I was kind of surprised, too, because, you know, when a movie like A Hard Day's Night is actually making front page news in the Sioux Falls paper, I know I had also sent to you um, a photo of the lines just to buy the tickets, <laughs> yeah. which was two or three weeks before the movie even showed up in Sioux Falls, and yet they were lining up around the block. I mean, that that's truly, you know, it speaks to, you know, the Beatlemania of the time, but also just how differently, you know, movie going was in that era. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, that that's kind of the cool thing about the state is it kind of provides that window to an extent, you know, to kind of bridge that period between what we are accustomed to now and what it was like, you know, for moviegoers back in the day. So, yeah. Yeah. Just it's, wild to see and it's wild to kind of like just in my lifetime to kind of know how movie going has has kind of changed a bit but wow i just i i love the the kind of history lesson from uh, a lot of the stuff that you post so uh yeah let's dive in to our featured film this week uh, instead of doing a series we are actually just here to discuss one movie that recently screened at the State Theater, and that is the 1972 Jamaican crime film, Jamaican crime reggae film, (laughs) The Harder They Come. Uh, This was my first experience with this movie. I had not seen it before, and I have have to let you in on a little secret. My plan was to be able to go to the state and watch it on Sunday afternoon, uh, but I woke up feeling a little blah, so I did not make it to the state to watch it. Uh, instead, I rented it and watched it online. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that my experience would have necessarily been any different with it. Uh, I thought this movie, just general, general thoughts. I'll get my general thoughts out of the way first, Derek, and then I'll turn it over to you. Uh, I thought this movie was fine. I, I thought this movie was fine. I think what steals the show for me is the totally committed performance of Jimmy Cliff, uh, and the music like it, this is this movie to me really is not a music movie like i didn't feel as though the music was important as that was as important as i expected it to be but i think that the music is the 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 little bit of music that is in this movie is amazing like i have not been able to get uh the the, the theme song the harder they come out of my head for like the last 24 hours like it is just it is it is a jam and the getting to watch the scene where they record the song is just great. Uh, uh, but I think overall, the movie has a lot, go- <laughs> a lot going on that I'm kind of like, why? What? What's? What's happening? Why is this? What? This did not go the direction that I thought it was going to go. Um, and we can dive into that a little bit more in, in a little bit here, but, but Derek, I'm, I'm interested in your initial thoughts on the harder they come. Yeah. So I had ultimately given this movie, you know, a three and a half out of five stars. Mm-hmm. And my rationale for that is, you know, you know, I, I guess what appealed to me the most, I mean, obviously the music is infectious. I mean, if you're going to repeat songs 
numerous times throughout the movie, like the title <laughs> song, or you can get it if you really want. I mean, they've got to be bangers, yeah. and indeed, they are. And we should mention the reason the State Theater played this movie in the first place is because this was part of their weekly summer music series. Yes. Um, so the big intent with it was, you know, to showcase the soundtrack of this movie in the theater, and that did very well uh, for yeah. its purpose. Um, you know, I guess what appealed to me a little bit more about it, you know, and, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the themes just yet, um, but there is a little bit of a mythic, you know, myth-making quality to it um, that's very intentional, at least in terms of how it tries to set up its character. Um, sure. There is actually some historical context for that too. Right. Um, but I also kind of appreciate, you know, because it's a, you know, this is a fairly low budget and scrappy movie. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, film stock shifts from scene to scene, you know, the audio quality is rough. I mean, at the State Theater, I should mention that most of this movie, but not all of this movie did have English subtitles on it sure. in the theater. And that was actually accurate to how the movie had originally played in theaters. There was like some sort of funny IMDb trivia note about how this is the first, this is probably the first English language movie to have English subtitles in its theatrical run because of those Jamaican accents. Yeah. Um, so there is that. Um, but there was kind of like that, the, not, not to posit this way, but you know, kind of like that real do it yourself filmmaking vibe yeah. to this, you know, which kind of endeared to me. And I think that kind of ties into kind of what like is my, you know, hypothesis of the movie because, you know, Early on, you know, there's a scene where, you know, right after Jimmy Cliff comes into the big city, you know, he meets up with this friend. And one of the first things Jimmy Cliff wants to do is he wants to go to the movie theater. Mm -hmm. And they do that and they go, they watch the original Django or Franco Nero, and they're just having fun and eating it up. And I think that scene is kind of, at least to me, or and maybe this is because I'm a movie person, so maybe this is what I latch on to. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I think probably, like, your concerns about where this movie goes in the second half, you know, I think that really stems mainly from what we see there, that, you know, you want to have, you know, you want to see these movies, you know, or at least have yourself represented in these movies and kind of see you doing these grandiose you know action like things which is exactly what this movie ends up being you know yeah. and which the movie makes very very clear when they intercut that audience in the movie theater clips from the beginning in the final climax yeah. um so it's it's almost as if that this this film is like i mean er everything that happens genuinely happens in the movie it's not like this is all uh a, a dream or anything like that but it almost feels like this movie is a result of or, or the events that happen in this movie are a result of his kind of fantasizing about uh what happens in this movie and how he wants to become that guy and you know that's that's kind of where the movie kind of seems to go in just a different, you know, different cultural settings. Uh, yeah. And, and I, and I, I really do uh, the, the scrappiness of this movie to me is something that I also really liked. Uh, I really, I, I think this is a movie that I respect more than I enjoy. And that, that seems to be how I, how I kind of rationalize a lot of the classics that I'm like, this one didn't quite stick with me, but I think it's, I, I respect how it was made and I found things about it to like, even if there were things that didn't quite stick with me as, as much as I had hoped they would. I do think that watching this movie again, I'll have a different opinion of it. Like, I feel like there's, there's enough here for me to really be like, Oh yeah. Like I, I, I will dig this the second time through because then I'll know, I'll know what's coming. I'll know what to expect. I'll know where this, this film is headed. And then I can let the rest of it wash over me a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I think there's, there's stuff here, like you said, um, that really add to this idea of, of creating a myth, creating a, a, a legend. And I think that's, that's one of the strong, the stronger points of the movie. I agree. 
Yeah, and you know, to, to throw in some of the behind the scenes context of this. Um, so as I mentioned to Andy, like as part of my preparation for this episode, so I do not own the Criterion edition of this. This has been out of print for, I'd say probably 15 years maybe, at least in yeah. its Criterion DVD edition. However, a couple of years ago, the folks at Shout Factory put out an incredibly extensive three disc Blu-ray set for this movie, which I had acquired relatively recently. So after I had watched the movie Friday night at the State Theater, I started breaking out uh, this Shout Factory edition, and you know, which has literally like 12 hours of extras um, on the movie, but also kind of on Jamaican filmmaking and the director of this movie, Perry Hensel. Um, so Perry Hensel was this, you know, this director who kind of like spent some time, you know, very early on in his career, you know, working for like the BBC. But in the late 50s, he migrated to Jamaica. And that became his home base for, you know, the last 50 years of his life or so. Um, and what he did there was he, at least the way that the Shout Factory does kind of pauses, he's the one who basically started uh, the Jamaican filmmaking industry. Um, I know somebody on the disc mentioned something to the extent that he had made like 200 plus TV commercials um, in his time in Jamaica, you know, because obviously it be it became a very appealing place for, you know, people to make commercials just because of the gorgeous scenery um, and the fact that you could always go there and it was always nice. Um, and so a lot of filmmakers actually end up going there. And actually one of the interviews they have on this disc is from another guy who uh, was making a lot of commercials in Jamaica in like the late 60s, early 70s. And that's Ridley Scott, oh, wow. who actually knew Perry Hensel. Um, he actually kind of advised him a little bit on the movie, like saying like, Perry Hensel needed a cinematographer. So Ridley Scott recommended this one guy for him. Um, and actually Ridley Scott was actually very close to like serving and maybe as like a camera operator or cinematographer on this movie itself, but that just didn't work out. Um, so part of the case that this makes is that, you know, they're making all these commercials in Jamaica and then Perry Hensel's like, I want to make, I want to make the next step. I want to make a movie. And so part of the cultural context for the harder they come is that it is basically the first feature film, you know, made in Jamaica by Jamaicans starring Jamaicans, you know, really kind of being that, you know, like first, real exposure to Jamaican culture, you know, for people around the world. Right. Um, so there's kind of that importance there. That's also kind of what you can explain, you know, like the, the scrappiness to a little bit, you know, because, you know, they're very much, you know, improvising, you know, how to, you know, turn this stuff into a feature film. Um, yeah. There was actually an interview with another cinematographer, not the one that I just mentioned, but there was another one. Um, who had recalled like his first meeting with the director and the director showed him like this handful of scenes that he had shot already, which are kind of like big story beats and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the cinematographer said, well, now we have to like, act, now we have to figure out scenes that are actually going to connect these scenes, um, which I think gets into kind of some of the, you know, haphazard plotting issues that I know you were kind of concerned about, you know, at least they're sure. trying like to not exactly improvise, you know, how Ivan's journey goes from, you know, new kid in the big city to mythic criminal. Right. Um, but that's really kind of what was going on there. It's just like they're scrambling, you know, to put this together, you know, which, which has its charms, you know, and, you know, obviously feels a little stitched together because of that. But, you know, I think that's part of its endearing quality. So, yeah. And I, I, I think I can agree with that because I, I feel like, uh, you know, with this being the first real Jamaican film, with 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 real the real Jamaican culture, real Jamaican people, I think being able to uh, have that and have have that film and being able to tell a story about Jamaican life, I think it's it's the highlights are really what we're trying to hit here, where it's like this this is the life. We're not going to fill in the little bits. We want to create something and tell this story and and make it something exciting for 
Jamaican people to really latch on to. And I feel like in that extent, they were very successful uh, because this movie has, you know, did exceptionally well uh, in Jamaica and then kind of found its way traveling on. I think it went to the U. I listened to a little podcast before we recorded uh, kind of a BBC documentary about this film. And they talk about how it went to the UK first and, you know, really found a, a, a nice audience in, in England where it became a pretty successful midnight movie. Then it tra- traveled over to the United States where it was bought up by Roger Corman's kind of yep. film distribution company. And it That's kind right. of went that same path where it became very successful uh, because it was giving exposure to a, a part of the world that so many people had never really gotten a chance to see before. And I, I also in this documentary, they touched upon how beneficial that was because it, it, it allowed people to see the real people of Jamaica. Uh, but then how it also had a little bit of negative connotations because there was the idea that that's what Jamaican life was, where it was, there was crime. There were, you know, uh, criminals that, that, went on full-on shootouts against police officers and were able to take them out where everything was very uh, ganja-based. And, you know, it, it might be. I mean, there, there, there might be a huge impact of ganja on, on uh, you know, from coming from Jamaican culture. But I think that it, it kind of helped the world kind of see that we have movies in America that do the same thing that are, that are made uh, depicting a section of American culture. That is a particular way, organized crime stories, uh, uh, you know, uh, violent films. I think it's, it's, it's good to be able to see that another culture is able to take one segment of what happens in that life, uh, build up a mythology around that and then say, Hey, this is our this is part of our story but hopefully you realize that there's more to it than that and i think it's it's awesome to kind of see just this this opportunity for uh a, a community to tell their story and a, a community to have a story where they can kind of see themselves up on the screen and be like they're they're getting it right because we did it like we we told the story so yeah, I just I, I see a lot of the the charm of this movie. I see a lot of the importance of this movie. But yeah, you're you're right. I keep getting hung up on the plot of it, and uh, you know that's that's just something that's just something that I do. But you know, I think there's there's more to it than just the following the plot of it. I think there's a lot of of impact and a lot of um, what happened behind the scenes to put this movie together that makes it as good as it is. Yeah, it, 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 I, it, I find it interesting you kind of touch on the legacy of the movie because I think one of the other interesting narratives, you know, that the special edition I watch, you know, kind of sets up is, you know, like, despite, you know, the success of this movie, you know, that momentum didn't really translate to its participants that much, at least in terms yeah. of other films. Um, so one of the actual major features on this special edition is the other feature film that Perry Hensel made uh, oh. right after uh, The Heart of the Kim was a success. Um, and it was, in his mind, it was a, it's called No Place Like Home. Sure. Um, it, by the interviews I watched, he basically had set up as kind of like a very calculated move, you know, to achieve more of a crossover success yeah. with white audiences because um, he was very intentionally trying to cast this movie with a mix of Jamaicans and Americans. Sure. Um, but this is much more of like an introspective, semi-autobiographical drama about uh, about a crew that comes to, an, an American crew that comes to Jamaica to film a TV commercial. Um, like he had actually cast like a commercial producer as the female lead of his movie who gets taken through Jamaica by this Jamaican man. And they have like a passionate romance and stuff like that. Um, it's also amusing because uh, this was also like the, if it was released when it was released, it would have been the uh, big screen introduction of PJ souls who plays like the star 
of the commercial. It's not like a leading role, but it is her first sure. role. Uh, Grace Jones. This is also, I believe, her first movie. Oh wow! Um, but the problem was, um, for starters, they ran out of money, so they couldn't finish filming the movie. And then several years later, when they were going to film it again, they couldn't find the footage. And then ultimately, they found it like decades later. The movie basically got finished like in 2006, right before the director died. Um, this Shout Factory disc is actually the very first time that it's ever been released, you know, in any home media. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, like, even though the Harley Come was a success, you know, the director, you know, certainly had, had had much more luck in feature films. And then I was also thinking to myself, okay, Jimmy Cliff, as you said, he has a very compelling presence in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he did this movie. I know he co-starred in the Robin Williams comedy Club Paradise. But I was thinking to myself, what else had he done <laughs> in terms of movies? And I looked it up on IMDb. And those are really only the only two big screen roles that he had, yeah. which really surprised me. Um, did not expect that. So even though the movie kind of is like this, you know, you know, obviously it didn't parlay into much for, you know, its star and its director, you know, obviously the movie itself has lived on, which, yeah. you know, is a little bit underwhelming, but you know, it is what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I feel bad because the thing about it is, is that sure. My review of this movie and, and overall overall opinion of it might not be like oh i didn't love it but at the same time like i love that it exists like i i love that it is is something that i can go back and watch and i never like this song will never leave my head and there are moments from this movie that work so that are just thrilling and and just super fun to watch like his little photo shoot where he is posing (laughs) as a criminal like with the guns like he is creating this idea of him as this terrible outlaw and it's just i i love that that little sequence where he's getting these pictures of himself taken and i love the way that he goes into these gunfights like he's just like it's almost as if he doesn't think he can lose and you know uh, spoilers for a what 50 year old movie eventually he does but there's but watching him in these shootouts it's almost like he's untouchable and i think that's i don't i don't know for sure and probably not but kind of that that vibe that he brings with him is something that carried over to a lot of other action superstars where it's like this guy who should be blown to bits is practically untouchable for most of the film just because of the way that he carries himself in these these gunfights and it's it's a it's a performance that is just ah, like so full of confidence and like exuberance and like a raw energy like i just think i think he is great like i just think that that his his character his his whole way about him is just exceptional and yeah i mean i i I don't know i i like i didn't know that he didn't go on to do anything else but because i don't remember ever seeing him anything i'm not surprised but i think here like just this this performance is enough to really you know i can see why this film is heralded as something so important because of all of the pieces coming together to make it what it is yeah and and to be clear i mean obviously jimmy cliff still went on to a very successful recording career right you know partially because you know this movie really popularized his music um so we do have that yeah um to your point about you know the photo scene um that's kind of based in reality because i don't know sure. if you knew this but there was an actual real ivanhoe martin yeah uh, that existed in jamaica i'm looking at his wikipedia page as we talk and he had they actually show uh this photo that was printed in one of the jamaican papers 
you know, which is him, you know, elaborately posing with guns, not in the exact Jimmy Cliff pose, uh, but very much kind of a, you know, mythologizing pose, I guess yeah. you could call it. Um, obviously, the real life Ivanhoe Martin was not a reggae singer or a drug dealer, <laughs> right. um, but he did take down a lot of people. Um, he was shot down at the mere age of 24. Sure. Um, so there's that. Um one one thing that just kind of popped in my head, and maybe this is also a reason why I kind of appeal to this movie, is you'll probably recall that, you know, the first time I was on your podcast for the Mothership Show, let's talk about show, we had talked about the Blues Brothers, which is this all other intersection of crime and music. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though this movie predates it by nearly a decade, it's kind of hitting a lot of those same beats. Um, You're not wrong. Not, yeah not 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 necessarily in a comic sense but sure. just the way that these kind of intertwine especially when you get you know you know because there's obviously this early subplot about you know, like he want you know to kind of make his bones you know and make some money you know he wants to cut a record mm-hmm. um and he does you know you kind of you know jerry rakes his way into the recording studio get a time booked you know you know and then he ultimately does record the song but ultimately has a disagreement with record producer because he only wants to pay him 20 bucks for it. He tries to take it to, you know, various people in town to play it, but because the record producer kind of owns the city, you know, he's kind of blacklisted. So he ultimately does sign away his rights for the 20 bucks. But then near the end, when he is starting to become, you know, this person who's known for gunning down people, the record producer says, yeah, we're going to start playing it now. And of course it becomes a hit because, He's a criminal. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, the the fun way that these, you know, plot elements, you know, as disparate as they are, you know, they tie in and interweave, uh, you know, to kind of help, you know, again, build that myth. I think that's your, your comparison is just, it, it hits the nail on the head because the Blues Brothers like I love the Blues Brothers, and I, I've I've loved the Blues Brothers for a long, long time. And when you watch that movie, and you really kind of look at the plot of it, you're probably sitting there scratching your head, like, how the hell did we get from here to here to here? <laughs> like these pieces don't add up, and that's kind of similar like to just i mean it it does add up like when you watch it it makes sense and it's the same way with the harder they come it it adds up it makes sense but it just feels so like everything kind of turns on the on a dime like oh well this you know he's starting off like this how did he get involved with the church how did he end up killing this or like attacking this guy how did he end up uh cutting a record how did he end up selling drugs how did he end up becoming this huge criminal it's like piece by piece by piece how do you get there but watching it you're entranced the whole time that you go along with it and i think maybe it's the overall i i think the use of music actually in both of them kind of helps you flow from one idea to the other now sure with this with this movie it's really the same two songs over and over again with the harder they come (laughs) And uh, oh, shoot, the other one that you can get a, it if you really want. Yeah, you can get it if you really want to. Uh, playing over and over again, but Blues Brothers, it's something new. Like it's it's the various musicians that pop up along the way. But I think that kind of helps the pill go down a lot smoother because you're like, ah, oh, yeah, this song is my jam. Like I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna go along with it because I want to hear that song again. Uh, but yeah, what a that's a that's a great comparison, Derek. That's yeah, spot on, spot on. And, and I will mention too, um, I'm also kind of pulling up Roger Ebert's review right now. And he was similarly mixed on the movie. He gave it sure. two and a half out of four. Um, I'm going to read some quotes here very quickly. Um, this movie was filmed on bustling locations and overflows with the street life of Jamaica. And the early scenes have an unrehearsed documentary quality to them but then the filmmakers seem to have been overcome by their memories of american black exploitation movies um somehow the opening 45 minutes had prepared us for more the tender early love scenes for example between jimmy cliff and his shy girlfriend don't fit the cynicism of the last hour the characters aren't consistent and jimmy cliff eventually becomes so unbelievable that we just stop caring the movie's ending is an exercise in plot 
Its beginning and its music deserve better than that. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, it's it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I mean, I agree and I disagree, and it's yeah. it's tough because I think talking the movie through, and yep. I think that's kind of the way with a lot of these movies is talking these movies through. I appreciate them a lot more. Um, I think it's, as you put it, it's the building of that mythology. Like yep. his, his character is, is growing into something bigger over the course of the movie. And who he is when he starts out is far removed for who he is as the movie ends. But we, yeah. we watch it happen. Like it's not yeah. some overnight shift. It, it Everything pieces together as he goes through that change. I'm not one to vocally disagree with Roger <laughs> Ebert, even though I have disagreed with him a, a lot over the course of my life. But I think this is, this is somewhere where, you know, a, a half a star more. I think he could have given it a three. I, I think he could have given it a three. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I mean, you're absolutely right that the movie structure sets it up. Like that first half is basically like Jimmy Cliff gets into the big city, you know, and everything doesn't go his way. You know, he gets his stuff stolen as soon as he gets into town, you know, yeah. he connects with the preacher, but then the preacher boots him out and he can't even get his bike back that he's been working on. You know, obviously he gets the short shrift, you know, with the record producer, you know, everything is building to that point. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to get into drugs and crime, yeah. you know, and that's where, you know, the bell curve occurs and that's where things go up from there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it's like, it, it, it's like, that's, that's all he sees as to his way to succeed because everyone else has, has brought him down so far yeah. like his life has just kind of gone downhill and he's tried to be good he's tried yep. to be nice yep. and he can only finally find some kind of success or money or whatever it is good that he's looking for by being the bad guy uh yeah and i i think uh I think it makes I think it makes for a movie that's better than I started this conversation believing. So yeah, the harder they come, uh, I check it out. That's <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really the main thing that I can say. Derek, is there there anything else about this movie that you want to touch upon before we wrap things up here? Uh, I can't really think of anything. Again, you know that I think what really ultimately endeared to me was like that final ending. You know as I said before, Jimmy Cliff has the shootout, you know, they're intercutting, you know, with, you know, the Jamaicans watching the movie, you know, and I think, you know, getting into the point of like how important this is for Jamaican culture, you know, that really has, you know, some resonance. And then of course, just the appeal of, you know, like the second Jimmy Cliff is finally shot down movie ends cut to the credits, which is just a shaking butt with the credits superimposed over it. We are done. Yeah. We are out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, it does to not his linger song. around. It gets to, yes, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I, like, like I just said, this is a movie that I enjoy a lot more now at the end of this conversation, uh, <laughs> than I did before we started talking. And I think, uh, now I'm going to have to make myself watch it again because I think, I think I will appreciate it, uh, a lot more. I think there's, there's a lot going on here. And, and if for no other reason to see this movie, if, if you feel like it's something that you're hesitating on, uh, honestly, like the, the sequence where they record the harder they come, the song is just, it's, it's beautiful. And then watching him get his photo, uh, his pictures taken. Uh, it's, that's, it's great. There's something about it. That's just a great, great moment. Uh, yeah. Uh, my my uh, initial reaction to this was three three tacos out of five, but yeah, I'll probably bump it up to where you're at, and I'll probably put it at three and a half by the time I actually write the review. Derek, are you yeah. still at that three and a half, or are you bumping yours up? Uh, I'm staying where I'm at. I feel sure. fairly confident in what it is. I mean, you know, the good certainly outweighs the bad. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, it's the perfect rating for it, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, good 
good discussion, Derek. I this was a fun one to talk about. I'm I'm glad that we I'm glad that we uh, decided to do this episode. Uh, yeah. Derek, is there uh, anything you want to plug? Do you want do want to promote where you're at on social media so that people can find you and engage in more film conversations with you? Yeah, so you can find me, you know, in various spots. You can find me on the letterbox, you know, where I write up what I see in, you know, Andy will know this feeling, but I'm a handful of reviews behind for new releases. <laughs> um, so I got to get that done here soon, but certainly lots of great content. You can track whatever I'm watching. Um, you can find me on the Facebook where I post all sorts of random stuff. Um, you can also find me on Facebook on the South Dakota film community group, uh, which Andy is one of the founding members of where I, post a lot of the interest, interesting things that Andy adored earlier in this conversation. So uh, look for that as well. Um, I'm also a contributor, of course, to Backlog 605 um, every week. You can find my coming soon article on the website, which tr still continues to keep track of everything coming out to theaters, to streaming, uh, to the state theater, um, to VOD services, um, any uh, local events that are occurring here as well, anything that's of note to film fans in the Sioux Falls area. So be sure to check it out. Awesome. Derek, it is it is always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I don't know if you listened last time, and I, I don't remember actually if Blake and I talked about it on the air, but we started talking about the notion of, of having guests join yes. us for the criterion yes. break. Yes, I have I a feeling that. that sometimes when we add that guest, there's a chance those episodes might be four-handers. Like it might be you, yes. me, Blake, and then whoever our extra guest is, just because I think that'll really uh keep the conversation kind of thriving so uh we don't know we don't have anything planned yet we'll, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants on all of this but uh the moment somebody steps forth and is like i want to be a guest uh we'll let you know so <laughs> yeah i mean that's perfectly fine i mean those who know me well know that um if there's a movie that plays at the state theater i've probably have seen it at yeah. the state theater so i'm always willing and handy to join in the conversation as any of those come up and ah. knowing what we know. I mean, there'll certainly be more vintage criterion titles coming to the theater as well. So there'll be plenty of opportunities, you know, to have these conversations and to bring others into these conversations. And that's very exciting. Yeah. I, I really look forward to uh, uh, having some good chats with some, some uh, people that appreciate good movies. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see, uh, see what conversations we get to have uh but you can find uh anything that i do online just do a search for fat dude digs flicks you will find me on facebook twitter and instagram uh, i am also on letterboxd uh if you subscribe to this podcast like this podcast rate and review this podcast by subscribing to this podcast not only do you get the criterion break with andy and blake and Derek, uh, but you also get the Let's Talk About uh, series, which is where I am joined by a guest on a weekly basis, and we discuss uh, that guest's life, uh, what they're passionate about, the things that have kind of shaped them as a person, and then we end up the conversation by talking about a movie uh, that has meant a lot to them. Uh, I am plotting my schedule this weekend to start getting ready to record the next season of Let's Talk About. I've got some fun guests that I'm uh, excited to have conversations with. Now it's just a matter of, of planning that recording schedule and having those chats. So that'll be coming soon. So you get two podcasts uh, for the price of free on this network um if you have any questions comments concerns if you'd like to be a guest on the criterion break or let's talk about go ahead and send an email to fat dude digs flicks at gmail.com or uh uh you know if even if you don't want to do that uh join the sioux, sioux falls is it sioux falls or is it south dakota i can't remember well, it, it, what it was sioux falls to. now it's south dakota now it's south dakota as a whole the south dakota film community group on facebook uh join in the conversation there and you know we would just we would all just love to build this community community to be as big and 
bright as possible because we love we love having the opportunity to talk with people about movies. So please feel free to join that group. And I think that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, Derek, it has been, like I said earlier, just an absolute joy. I love getting to chat with you about movies and this conversation. You, you did it. You, you, you changed my mind. You turned me around. I am, <laughs> I am pro more than I was before this movie. So well done, my friend. Yay. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it. Derek, tell everybody goodbye for me. Bye-bye, Mon. (laughs) You've been listening to The Criterion Break with Andy. Thank you for listening to Fat Dude Digs Flicks.